American slang that the guru is kind of like a spiritual heavy. Uh, somebody who, who has that gravitas, someone who is grounded in the spirit. Sometimes the word guru is translated as teacher, and more particularly, of course, as a spiritual teacher and a spiritual preceptor. And uh, by the way, most of you here may be very well, I'm sure you're very well acquainted with the Vedanta philosophy. And you may think, well, this is kind of like kindergarten stuff. I already know all about this guru stuff and all that. But the fact is, is that our subject this morning is really, when, we, when we're asking out who is a true guru, we're really asking a question, well, who is a spiritual person? What does it mean to be a spiritual person? Who is a saint? What does it mean? What's the difference between a saint and a sinner? And a lot of confusion in a popular mind. And in our own minds, if we look, and after all, our goal and purpose of our life is to become a saint, to become a sage, to become a realized soul. And uh, so we need to clarify in our mind this ideal, this vision, so that we know what we're talking about. So this word uh, often is translated as, as teacher. And that's okay. That's a pretty good uh, translation of the word. And, and we know that we, in whatever branch of knowledge that we're interested, if we want to learn, it's natural for us to seek out a teacher. Uh, if you want to learn mathematics, of course, you want to go to the university, enroll in a mathematics class, carpentry, and apprentice yourself to a carpenter. There's no point in going back and trying to reinvent the wheel. We understand that. And so it's for this reason that uh, we seek out a teacher. Teachers are important. Let's say you take your, your, your if you have ch children, maybe you take your child to a school in a new town and you want to check out and see if that's a good school or not. Maybe you're given a tour of the school and you see that they have, oh, so many books and uh, 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 computers and audiovisual equipment and everything. The campus is so beautiful. But uh, you say, well, uh, uh, what are your teachers? Oh, we don't have teachers here. Kids, just we just put the kids in the classroom. They teach themselves. You think, well, maybe, maybe you may think, well, maybe that, the question mark would rise in your mind. Maybe that might be the most best school uh, for your child. Uh, why? Because it's not efficient. It's not efficient for us to go back and try to reinvent the wheel, to start from scratch. We know, too that in teaching, there is a teacher-student relationship. We know that there certainly often, there, there has to be more than just an exchange of information. That is, a good teacher, an inspiring teacher, there is a person where there is an engagement of, of minds and hearts. And uh, 
education involves the, it's important for us to engage with the teacher so that the teacher is able to bring out from us our knowledge and it can unfold by itself. And so we find that a good teacher, we touch the person, we touch the, the heart of that teacher who inspires us. So the guru is such a teacher. He's an inspiring teacher. So that would be kind of one good translation. And uh, oftentimes the word guru is translated as a guide, a spiritual guide. And uh, there again, that's not a bad metaphor because um, in the inner journey, the inner quest is a very difficult, uh, it's a very difficult journey. And as we find our wind our way through the vast forest of the world, we're going to find it's very easy for us to lose our way, to get off and to, get to, to become lost, to become there's pitfalls and there's all kinds of, of traps and confusion. It would be good if we had a map, if we had a guide who could lead us through in the most efficient way uh, possible. And certainly in Christian traditions, if you read in the lives of the Christian saints, um, they, all, they all referred their spiritual experiences and their problems to their spiritual director, their spiritual advisor. And so that's another role which is played by the guru. But the Indian guru is one who really goes beyond both this role of the teacher and of the spiritual guide because the guru is also an initiator. That means is that, um, well, ancient teachers maintained that we need to be initiated into spiritual life. We need to go through a rite of passage. We have to go through, it's a kind of a threshold crossing into a new way of life. And uh, maybe that's some problem that we have in America today, that we've lost many of our rites of passage. But uh, in, the, in, in, the, in, in the being when you are initiated by the guru, uh, in fact, you'll find you go through that ceremony of initiation. Uh, the guru will instruct you in your own, uh, give, instruct you in your ways of spiritual practice. He'll look into your eyes, look into your heart, give you, introduce you to your Ishta Devata, give you the, the name of that Devata, and teach you how to do your own personal, as you know in Vedanta, the, this lineage, you know, each person has their own karma, their own disposition, and their own, their, their own. Uh, way of best way of doing spiritual practice for that you the teacher needs to explain to you uh, that particular kind of spiritual practice At, during that ceremony of initiation the teacher will bless you by a touch that is they call it Christian tradition they call it kind of the blessing the laying on of hands and the idea being that there is a lineage that there is a power that comes down from on high 
and uh, some kind of a, of a mystic trans, uh, transmission from guru to disciple, back, back, through the, back through the lineage into ancient times. The blessing of the guru, that is that initiation, it's like a planting of a seed. And uh, at that time, at that time, hopefully, that our, when we come to our teacher, and we ha uh, that our mind is fertile, it's fit for sowing seeds. And uh, that initiation practice is similar to that. The blessing of the guru, it's like the lighting of a candle. One candle lights another. You can note, by the way, in these two metaphors of the farmer planting the seed and the one candle lighting another, you can notice that there are two people. Uh, the, the, the field doesn't plant itself. The candle doesn't just burst into flame. The candle requires another candle to be lit. And therefore, we can see in this tradition, anyhow, uh, we, we naturally look askance at such titles on a bookstore which you may see uh, be your own guru by Guru Surat Singh. Well, you look there, there's a the book right there. Be your own guru. That's not the traditional orthodox teaching of this uh, uh, wisdom of the East. You need a guru. You need a living guru. You need another person. You need to go through a ritual of spiritual initiation. You need to get into a lineage. And uh, so now we can ask ourselves, well, who is this guru that we're seeking? What kind of a person are we seeking? We need to exercise now our, in our search. We need to have some kind of yardstick, some guidelines, some kind of a checklist uh, for us to uh, find such, such a teacher. And uh, how would we know? Who is a true guru? Well, best uh, resource for us, the most reliable resource for us is to go back to scripture and to see what do the scriptures say about this? What, who, how does the scripture define for us the true guru? Well, if you read in the Viveka Chudamani, you see in the very first verses, Shankaracharya defines the nature of a true guru, shrotriyo, avrijino, akamahatoyo, brahmavittamaha. Barry kind of puts it in a nutshell, where he describes the characteristics of a true teacher. Let's just go through a couple of those characteristics. The first word there is shrotriyo. That means that he is, a, he is one who is, who is versed in the scriptures, that is, steeped in the knowledge and the wisdom of the Vedas and the Upanishads and the ancient scriptures. Uh, it doesn't mean that he is a scholar. It doesn't mean that he is a mere book-learned pundit or a professor of philosophy. 
but he's someone who has read the scriptures and who has who's kind of caught the spirit of the scriptures and who's trying of trying to live out and embody the scriptures in his life uh, we know that a person who is going to be our teacher if you want to learn how to swim well, you would maybe if you, you go to a professor at a university who's written many books on swimming, he doesn't know how to swim. Well, maybe you think, well, maybe I'll go to some other guy. Be better if he, if he is, a, is a good swimmer and you see him there. And uh, then you know that, yeah, he can, is kind of qualified to. That's a shrotrio. That means a person who is, has captured the spirit of the scriptures. Who, who is, who, who's realized the essence of the scriptures. Um, once upon a time, there was a, um, there was a pundit who was, um, well, he was coming, he had to give a lecture. And across, he had to cross the River Ganges because he was scheduled to deliver a lecture on Sanskrit grammar on the other side of the river. So he came down to the bank of the river and he was all dressed up and he had a silk chaddar and dhoti, he carried a big Sanskrit tome over under one arm and he, he walked along probably smoking an English cigarette, you see. He came down, he was, he was a famous pundit and uh, he came down to the River Ganges there and it was, it, Kind of an overcast day. The sky was gray. The wind was blowing a little bit from the west. And uh, maybe it was blowing up a storm. But the pundit, he came down to the river. None of the boats were plying. Because they, the boatmen thought it's not safe to cross that river in this kind of inclement weather. But the pundit, he came down. He accosted one of the boatmen. He says, take me, imperiously demanding to be taken across the other shore. The poor boatman was so intimidated. He put him in the boat, and they warped out into the into the current there. You know, it's kind of a small, narrow boat, and they're moved by a long pole as they move out into the into cross the river Ganges. Well, the the pundit became sat there in the in the boat, and he became completely oblivious. He was smoking his cigarette. Eyes were closed. Then he opened his eyes. He looked down his nose at that uh, at that poor ferryman. He says, say, my good man, he says, uh, have you ever uh, uh, studied the, the grammar of, of Panini? And the poor, <laughs> the poor boat, but he, he, was, he, was, he says, no, no, sir, I'm so sorry. I never went to school. I can't read. I can't write. I'm, I'm so sorry, said the pundit. You're missing out. You don't know Sanskrit grammar. You're missing out on 25% of the joy of living. So, so saying, withdrawn into himself, smoking his cigarette. Well, time passed, and of course, by this time, this, it was kind of graphic. The sky had grown kind of dark. The clouds had rolled in. The velocity of the wind was increasing, and the, the river was becoming more and more choppy. And the pundit, then he opened his eyes again, looked down his nose at that poor ferryman. He says, tell me something. He said, have you ever studied Naya Vaisheshika uh, philosophy? And uh, or very bit, he says, "No, sir, please. I work from 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 dawn until dusk, and uh, I have no time for study or for reading or leisure." And uh, oh, I'm so sorry, that pundit said, "You miss out a few. You don't know Sanskrit. You don't know the eye of Vaisheshika. So you're missing out on 50% of the joy of living." 
So saying, he, he started smoking a cigarette, and by this time, of course, the thunder was rolling, and drops of rain were beginning to fall, and the boat was rocking back and forth. And the pundit then opened, I mean, he opened his eyes again, and he asked him, for the last, he'd always tell me, you don't know Sanskrit, and you don't know, certainly you know something about Sankhya Yoga. You know something about the Mimamsa, or the Uttara Mimamsa of Vedanta, don't you? Oh, no, said the, said the ferryman. I'm so sorry. I'm not a highly educated man like yourself. I don't know any of these things. I'm so sorry, said the pundit. All these things you don't know. It's just your mind of ignorance. You're missing out on 75% of the joy of living. And so saying, he started smoking his cigarette again. And then the poor ferryman addressed the pundit. You see, by this time, the thunder was rolling and the uh, 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 lightning was flashing and the rain was falling and the waves were rocking that boat back and forth. And the poor ferryman said, excuse me, revered sir, May I ask you a question? Do you know how to swim? <laughs> Ponda said, what? Swim? No, I don't know how to swim. Said, oh, I'm so sorry, sir. Because you are about to miss out on 100% of the joy of living. <laughs> and in fact, that's what happened. Those waves just swept that boat. The boat overturned. And that poor ferryman, he was able to swim safely to the other shore. But that proud, vain pundit... He drowned in those muddy waters. He was never heard of again. <laughs> so that's the first qualification, a shotrio. He knew the, the essence. He knew how to swim. He knew the he absorbed the whole basic teaching of the of the scriptures. Shotrio Avrigino, Akamahato. Yodsrigino means a person who is sinless. A guru is a person. Who is, and, and, and a guru is a person who is sinless. That is, he is a man of character. Uh, big difference between a, a, uh, an academic professor of, um, of philosophy, a professor of theology, and a guru. Big difference between a, a psychotherapist and a psychiatrist and a guru. In the case of the professor, in the case of the, uh, of the therapist, they need not be men of character. They need not be moral men. That is, uh, that is a, a professor or even a therapist can help you all, can, can help you completely without being a man of character, as they say. A broom may be very dirty but it can still sweep the place clean. So that's okay. That's not his qualification. But the guru is something <coughs> different. That is, the guru has to be a moral man. He has to be a man who's grounded in ethics and morality and in integrity. Why is that? Well, we've discussed before on other occasions that, 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 that morality and, and ethics <coughs> are like the bud Spirituality is like the flower. First comes the bud, then comes the flower. If you don't have the bud, you don't have the flower. <coughs> That's the foundation. 
So we know that if you, if the guru, so we're, we're, <coughs> we're looking for a <coughs> spiritual man, so we know that that spiritual man, well, then certainly he must be grounded in ethics and morality. Um, otherwise he couldn't be spiritual. And so we have a, we have a good way of, <coughs> of, of asking ourselves that question. That is, does he practice what he preaches? Is he such a man of character? <coughs> Once upon a time, there was a, a man who fell sick in a little village way outside the, the city of Calcutta. And uh, he was so sick, and he had a stomach ache, he had a fever. What can I do? I have to go and see the doctor. Well, there are no doctors here in this village. Oh, I have to go to Calcutta. Well, poor man, he had no way. He had to walk. So he started walking. He walked all afternoon. He had to sleep kind of by the side of the road. And the next morning, he got up, he walked, he walked. Finally, he got to the doctor's office <coughs> in Calcutta. And... Uh, he goes into the doctor's office, and the doctor was able to see him. The doctor looked at him and said, yes, uh, I, I, I see your, your problem. He said, you, uh, can you come back here in uh, two days, and I'll, I'll tell you what to do, give you some medicine. Yeah, the poor man, well, what could he do? He still had his fever, he still had his stomach, but what could he do now? He had two days later, so he had to walk all, walked all the way back home, stayed overnight, no sooner did the night pass that he had to turn around and start walk all the way back to Calcutta again. Came in the doctor's office two days later, and the doctor saw him and said, oh, yes, yes, I remember you. you uh, uh, my advice for you is to uh, uh, don't eat any molasses, and don't drink too much water. That's it, said the man. Yep, that's it. That's all you need. That's going to cure you. Okay, so the man left. He had gotten his uh, advice from the doctor. Well, but after he left, the nurse asks, that says, Doctor, please, can I ask you a question? He says, why, why should Mike, that poor guy go all the way back? You could have told him this simple thing. Uh, two days ago. Why'd you make him go all the way back, come all the way back here? And the doctor said, well, you see, nurse, I tell you, see, when, the last two days ago when he was here, I had up here on the shelf, I had some big jars of molasses, and a couple of big jars of water up there, and uh, he would have seen all that water and all that molasses, and hearing my uh, hearing my words, don't eat any molasses, don't drink water, he would have looked up there and he thought, well, well the doctor does. He has all this. It couldn't be too bad. And so he wouldn't, have, he wouldn't have really taken my advice. So I had to get rid of that. I had to get rid of all that uh, molasses and water. Molasses, you know, in India, they used to, in old fashioned, old, old times, it's like sugar, right? It's in a, it kinda, it would, so you get a little, like a lump of molasses, and it would be kind of like eating candy. So that's the, what's the moral? The moral. The, Characteristic, the true guru, the guru is a person who practices what he preaches. And uh, as you'll see as we go along, we're talking about our subject is the guru. But all that we say here, maybe except for the initiation part, really applies to a spiritual person, a saint. Who is a saint? What is a saint? What is a what is a, a man of, of enlightened? What is an enlightened person like? Well, an enlightened person has all these qualities that we're speaking of. 
And if you're looking for a person who is awakened, who is enlightened, who is liberated, we'd all love to meet such a person. Well, we have to seek, get clear in our mind, some of the, what are we looking for? What are some of the characteristics of that person? Well, one of the characteristics, as we just mentioned, he practices what he preaches. That's a simple one. Kamahato means he's not just a moral man. The guru sees very high, as you see as we progress along here, we're going to see the ideal becomes higher and higher. That's because in Indian wisdom of the East, this is a very high ideal. This is, <coughs> and uh, um, the guru is someone who is not just a moral man, but a spiritual man. A lot of confusion. What, in the, what is a spiritual man? A spiritual, what does it mean to be spiritual? Well, we've discussed that in other occasions in our classes. A very, very, it's very important. It's fundamental for us to kind of think and contemplate that. What does it mean? We use that word spirit, how spiritual, and be, realize the spirit, live in the spirit. And uh, what does that mean? Well, the guru is one who, <coughs> who lives in the spirit. And uh, that is, there's the body. He's not the body. He's not the mind. That is, he's the spirit. He's the spirit. He's the spirit soul. A guru is one who lives in the spirit. He doesn't live in the flesh. That is, he's not, uh, uh, he's, he's not identified with the body, with the mind. A guru is someone who does not think of himself as a man, as a, as a, as, as a, as a kind of a, uh, you know, biological sense, identify himself as a man. A guru is a person, of course, who has no sex, gender consciousness. A guru is someone who is, he is not married. He's not in a relationship. He doesn't have any children. Why? Because he's living in the spirit. The spirit is beyond all such, um, such relationships. And the guru, therefore, is one in the words of Sri Ramana. He's renounced woman and gold. His mind has risen above that are lower, those low, as you know, there are six centers of consciousness in the body. Those three lower centers there, which I was we write, right, has our spirituality, the spiritual consciousness means your mind and your heart and your, your consciousness, your identity is shifted above, lifted above those lower centers and has begun to come into the heart and into higher centers. And uh, so a guru is a person renounced, woman and gold. Gold means he's not, a guru is not a materialistic person. He's not a person, anytime you see somebody living in the lap of luxury, who enjoys material things, who owns a, a car, who owns a lot of property, uh, who has a big bank account, you know, maybe you can hang a question mark. That's a question mark, you see. You see, a true, that's a true guru, you see. These are like checklists. You go down the checklist. And... Uh, Certainly a guru is a person, as we talk about the guru-disciple relationship, uh, is, is certainly one which is never a commercial transaction. 
So if there's any kind of commerce or there's any kind in when you meet your a spiritual teacher or when you meet your guru or any spiritual teacher, if there's some kind of uh, monetary exchange and all that, then we know that this is, uh, this is not the ideal. Spirituality is not a commodity which can, be, uh, which, which can be exchanged. And if it is treated as such, then we have to know that, the, that, that, that somewhere we don't have a true valuation. We don't have someone has not appreciated the true worth or understand the, the true worth uh, uh, and significance of that guru-disciple relationship, always beyond any kind of material considerations. So, Shotryo, Virgino, Kamhato, that is, these are different kind of characteristics of a guru and of spiritual, of a, of a saint, a sage, a, 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 a mystic, a jnani, an enlightened person, a, an awakened person. All of these are, 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 are kind of characteristics that we can, that we can look for. Certainly a true guru, that is to say a saint, is someone who has, in addition to having renounced woman and gold, he's also renounced name and fame. And uh, one of our swamis, the Swami Turiyananda, used to say, you know, that 90% of all of the sadhus have, who have risen, whose, whose minds have risen above the temptations of woman and gold, which is basically nobody, <laughs> let's, let's say they've, they've risen to that level, 99% of them fall prey to name and fame. And uh, that is, they have a love of publicity. They love the limelight. And anytime you see a... a a, a holy man who's seated up on a dais, you see, and who's being, who's everyone is prostrating before them, taking the dust of their feet as they're sitting up on a throne. Then you have to question. The question mark comes into your mind. That the guru is someone who cannot, not that he, not that he has renounced name and fame, but also psychologically, you see, it's not, it's, it's not that he shouldn't do that. It's the point is, Psychologically, he can't do that. He can't feel a good, uh, I mean, a spiritual person can't do that. They don't feel comfortable sitting up on a throne. They can't tolerate that. That uh, Swami Vivekananda used to say, "It disgusts me when I see uh, subjects bowing to a king on the throne." And so, uh, one of the characteristics of a guru of a true guru, that is, as a saint, he's someone who has renounced name and fame. The guru is one who humbles himself in all things. Another characteristic which we can look for, Sri Ramakrishna, you read in the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, he, he, again and again, he said, true, a, a true spiritual person is like a tree. That is a tree which is grown, bare, has, bears a lot of fruit. That is, it's a, a fruitful tree. Those branches, they're laden heavily with that fruit. The branches bend down low. And so when you see a tree where the branches are bent way down low by the ground, that is humility, the mark of humility then you know that that tree is laden with fruit. 
So a, a, uh, another item for our checklist here we could, we could put off. Say. Important for us to know that we can objectify. See, when you're talking about spiritual, sometimes people, people say, well, how do you know if someone is spiritual? How do you know if they're, they, oh, you can't tell. It's just you gotta feel it. You gotta you gotta kind of feel the vibe. You gotta you gotta or else or else they'll say, well, there's no way you can know. Well, it takes one to know one. If you're not a saint, then how would you know? Well, there's no way you can look into their mind and heart. Well, you see, there's such a thing as law the law correspondence. That means thinking, feeling, speech, and action. Every time you open your mouth. It becomes clear, you're, you're, telling, you're giving messages about your inner mind and your heart, certainly in your behavior. And so we can know, we can evaluate ourself. This is not just, by the way, for evaluating others. This is not about judging others. Really, much more importantly, it's about judging ourselves. We want to know, am I spiritual? Am I becoming a saint? I want to become a saint. What does that mean? I have to be able to look in my own mind and heart and see if I, am I, do I f uh, fulfill these, these uh, qualifications uh, uh, and aspire to this ideal. Very high ideal. And uh, you may say, well, gee, it's, uh, it's too high of an ideal. It sounds like it's just completely impractical. How is it ever be possible to even find such a person who has exemplified um, this ideal? Isn't it enough just to, if I want some instruction or to, can't I just find a guy who's maybe, if he's two steps ahead of me, that's, <laughs> that's more of the, that's all I need. And the answer to that is, well, that's true. That's really all that you need practically. But this morning, we're talk what we're talking here is about the ideal. The ideal is, by definition, something which is very exalted, something which is unattainable, something which is like it's like the it's there for us to reach for. It's like the stars. It's like the sun. It's something for us to aspire to. It gives us a kind of a yardstick of what is the uh, what is the standard. And, uh, well, the fact is that it's important for us to have such standards. And it's important for us, for us to be able to exercise discrimination. And sometimes in the wake of some scandal, a guru falls from grace. Sometimes that may happen, and the disciples become disappointed and disillusioned and disgusted with religion. And, uh, in fact, a lot of disappointment could be in avoided uh, if the disciple had sharpened his discrimination. One of our Swamis was once asked about a particular guru who had, this is many years ago, the 60s, he asked about, what do you think about such and such a guru? And he gave a, he gave a good answer. He, he said, wherever there are fools, there will be charlatans to take them. So you can think about that. Well, that's true. Who can we blame? Do we blame the fallen guru or do we blame the fools, that is the disciples who have no discrimination, who were followers of such a guru? 
So uh, it's a, the idea being here, as Shankaracharya says, first prerequisite for which we'll discuss next time we talk about discipleship. The first prerequisites for discipleship, discrimination. That you have the capacity to, to, to discriminate the diamonds from the glass beads. So, Shrochyo Vrijino Kamahado Yo Brahmavittama. Shankaracharya, after all of this, after all of these qualifications he's laid out, describing the saint, the ideal guru, the perfect, he said he's going he's to give us one more. This is kind of, this is just kind of like the, 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 the cherry on the parfait. He puts there one more qualification. Oh, by the way, uh, he's also a Brahma Vittama. That means he's also a knower of Brahman. Um, that is, the guru is a person who has seen God. A person who has, uh, who is, as Sri Ramakrishna says, he's a, if you want to go to Banaras, you want to talk to somebody who's been to Banaras. And uh, that would be the very best way. Such a teacher is one who has the badge of authority. He speaks with authority. He speaks with, uh, how would you know? Such a, well, he speaks uh, with, with a power. He speaks with a, with, with a conviction. He awakens your, your, your spiritual consciousness. And um, once upon a time, there was a king who was His name was uh, Vira Sindhu. He was the king of Kalinga. And uh, he had practiced many spiritual austerities in his previous life. But he was a yoga brashta. That means he had, he had, had fallen from grace. And so he had not achieved the highest state in his life. And so as a result of which, he was born in the next life. He was born as a king. And so uh, he began to live his life, and in the course of time, he had an awakening of spiritual consciousness. And uh, he began to long for enlightenment, long for some, uh, for, for some, from awakening of spiritual consciousness. And as before, he tried yoga, he tried meditation, he tried all different kinds of, of, of yagyas and spiritual practices. And... Uh, his consciousness was not awakened. And so he became impatient. He says, in this life, something must happen. I must find an awakening, awaken my spiritual, uh, my mind and heart. And so he sent out word all over his kingdom, inviting yogis and gurus and saints and jnanis, holy men from all, please come to the palace. You see, any, I invite you, give me initiation. I would if you wait. I want to have my spiritual uh, awaken my heart. Each one, anyone who comes, I will uh, uh, give you an opportunity to awaken my spiritual consciousness. And uh, that was his invitation. Oh, and by the way, one caveat: if you if it doesn't awaken my spiritual consciousness, you go into the dungeons. <laughs> so pretty soon, of course, they came from all over India. They came and they initiated in the Vishnu mantra and the Shiva mantra and the Kali mantra. Pretty soon, the dungeon was filled with all of these saints and yogis who had failed 
to had awakening his, his spiritual consciousness. Well, one day, the king was distraught. And uh, he'd run out of saints and yogis and gurus. And he was walking in his garden. And the great Lord Shiva, he had pity on him. And the Lord Shiva up on the, oh, heaven looked down upon him. He materialized there in a, over in the garden as a poor, humble gardener. There he is digging in there in a, by the roses. And the king is walking along there in all his royal robes down the paths of the garden. And he looks there and he sees the, the, the roses and he sees this little gardener there on his knees digging. King walking along, and then the gardener, he turns around and he stood up and he says, Stop. Can you imagine, imagine a gardener speaking, he was daring to speak to the king, the Maharaja, like this. But when the king heard this, he said, Stop, stop. He said, Stop. Okay, I'm stopped. He says, Yes, I'm stopped. He must mean stop, but he says, He must mean stop seeing. So I stopped. He closed his eyes. Oh, no, he said stop. He must mean stop hearing. So he stopped hearing. He must mean, no, he must mean stop thinking. So he stopped thinking, and his mind calmed down, became calmer and calmer, and he went into samadhi. And there he stood, the king, the Maharaja. He stood there. Minutes passed, hours passed. Ministers came out. What happened to the king? Well, the king just stood there, and he was like, what are they going to do? And then he, hours passed, days passed, and they, they took the poor king inside and set him down there. And his brother removed the ring from his finger so that he could govern the, the kingdom. And for years, he governed that kingdom. You say, well, the king remained in Samadhi. After such a long time, you see, one day, he, sitting there, he just kind of came back to consciousness. He opened his eyes, and he opened his eyes, and the first thing he asked is, where is my guru? And I explained to him what had happened. Oh, he says, yes, well, I will go. He says, yes, you keep the ring. You take all these affairs of state turned over to his brother and to his family. And he renounced the world, left into the forests of the Himalayas in search of his true guru. So, that's a real guru, that's the Yo Brahmavittama, the greatest of the knowers of Brahman. So, this idea of the guru-disciple relationship uh, is one of the fundamental aspects of, this, of the wisdom of the East, one of the fundamental teachings. And uh, in the last decades, maybe, since when the beginning here, the, the 60s, 70s, and all that, maybe this concept of the guru-disciple relationship kind of, kind of was tarnished. It kind of became a little bit degraded and trivialized by popular culture. And uh, some false prophets may have abused that concept and uh, given kind of a misunderstanding as to the significance of it. But uh, maybe now we can... Uh, begin to understand as we study deeper that this guru-disciple relationship is one which is very central and important to our spiritual life and to our study and uh, contemplation. Sometimes people ask me uh, where they can find a guru and uh, the answer to that is very simple. That is a first step. Uh, 
before you can before you can find your guru is the first step is you have to begin to prepare yourself before you can find a true guru you have to be a true disciple and uh, as they say when the disciple is ready then the guru will appear a lot of truth in that. That is, we have to begin to prepare ourselves. It's called adhikaravada, which maybe we can discuss in the next time. This lecture, we've talked about the guru. We've set a very high, high ideal uh, of, of, the, of the concept of the guru. Uh, when we talk here, maybe next time or so, we'll talk, we'll talk about discipleship and we'll see that the ideal of the disciple, of the true disciple, is just as high and is just as demanding uh, for us to achieve.